0: Alright, we're live. We welcome all those of you that have uh, are joined us wherever you're watching that the, today around the globe. And those of you that get this podcast sometime this week. We want to give God praise and for all He's doing here and all He's doing in the world because He's still in charge. Amen? Amen? Let me read to you from Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Amen. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence, He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. Amen. His truth shall be your buckler, shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by the day. Amen. Fretting only does what? I won't worry with you. I'll pray with you. But I'm not going to worry with you. You have to find another preacher to do that. I'm not going to worry with you. Nor the pestilence that walks in darkness. Nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side. And ten thousand at your right hand. But it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. I like this last line here. Because you have made the Lord... Who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. Now, a dwelling place is a little different than running in and out on Him. Think about that as we go in our praise and worship. Do you really dwell with the Lord? Or you just running in and out on Him? How about living with Jesus? Amen? Amen? That's the best way to live. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. He's worthy. Lord, we worship you this morning. Thank you for your grace and mercy. There's none beside you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. You are the bright morning star. You are the fairest of 10,000. You are the spotless lamb and the great I am. You are the first and the last that was and is and is to come. We give you praise this morning. Hallelujah. Say it again, some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise one more time, his word. Uh, you may be seated, Children's churches dismissed with Brother Alfred, and we have a nursery next door, actually two nurseries. We also have these uh, pagers, so if you take your nur- uh, child over there and uh, check them in, you can check them out as long as you keep this. Little thing, with If you don't have this little thing, we're keeping your baby. We like babies around here. We got a learning center, and we have a passion for children. So, uh, I'm gonna. Last week I preached pretty uh, extensively on Wednesdays. I teach mainly, but I would encourage you, if you weren't here Wednesday, to listen to Wednesdays, as it encompasses a lot of stuff from, uh, that you need to hear. Uh, I think you'll. Uh, Get something out of that Today as a pastor I have to instruct And so today I'm going to instruct some uh, About some stuff that the Holy Spirit's kind of directed me on Something that I really didn't have on my radar uh, Until the Holy Spirit started uh, speaking to me So uh, let's um, Let me do a little writing here on the board 1st Is that showing up? Okay, something happened here. All right, let's try this again. Can you see that? I revived my board. (laughs) Okay, so uh, all of us have heard about um, Revival in Asbury and then on Lee's University in Tennessee. And um, so... Revival is important, and we're going to talk about it. I'm going to talk to you about some instances. I was in Pensacola a couple of times, maybe more than that, when the revival went on in Pensacola a few years, several years ago, and it lasted for several years, actually. I was actually preaching in Pensacola at another church, and we went over to the revival, and then my wife and I, we went back. and uh, I actually have been in a couple of intimate settings with John Kilpatrick. He was the guy whose church the revival broke out in. Uh, and he shared some stuff with me and some other guys that I'm going to share with you. How many remember the the revival in Toronto back in the 90s? Yeah, John Arnott. I've been in a couple of settings with him as well. I did not go to the revival in uh, Ontario. Was it Toronto? Toronto. So, and then I want to talk to you about those things. I want to talk to you about Larry Lee, about revival, and I want to talk to you about Living Water. Now, if you remember, we got seven words from God, which seven is completion, starting in 2020. We got a word, One of the first, the first word we received was, illness is coming, but I'll be working in the midst. We got that in 2000, at the end of 2019, I believe, or early 2020. I have to go back and check my notes. Before the virus was named or anybody knew what was going on, the Lord spoke to us here and said, remember that, illness is coming, but I'll be working in the midst of it. And we saw that, but I want to remind you that we've baptized over 100 and some people in the last two and a half years between the river and the youth and going across the road and borrowing other baptistries, which we will no longer have to do, thanks to that little tub over there in the corner, amen. And I know we have about, I don't remember the number exactly, but several people that are ready to be baptized next Sunday is when we're going to start baptizing. So you need to see me after church or... Uh, we'll start baptized. Some of those folks who were baptized uh, out of that hundred and some were renewals or revives. Okay, you cannot be revived unless you've been vibed. You understand my vibe? Uh, so uh, revival is for the believer. It starts with the believer. The runoff of that is salvation. Certainly, that's the number one priority, and we've seen a lot of that. But if you'll remember in 2020, after we started getting those words from God, and one very poignant word about the end of time that we've published it should be out in the foyer, one thing happened before all that broke loose. I'm going to ask you guys, If I'm going to tell you, we fasted and prayed as a church for a month. When we did that, then all that broke loose. So when I heard about Revival in Asbury, the first thing that hit my mind, I've not been there, two of my children have went, and my future son-in-law, uh, real f- close son, and closer than future, I guess, I should say, uh, went over. And when I heard about Revival, and I've got, if I've not responded to anybody, forgive me, but I, I, I'm not making excuses, but i get text on top of text some days i get 80 phone calls and texts so i get the information if it needs to be responded to i'll try to get to it uh but i've got them from about lee university and one of the guys that first thing hit my mind is somebody's been praying in asbury it's the first thing hit my mind somebody's been praying because that's what caused revival to happen for us is we got together and we decided we are going to push the food back for a month and pray. And we signed up. Remember that? We all took parts of the day. Some people took fasted for a whole week, you know, whatever God laid on their heart. So I understood. So my uh, son and daughter and her fiancé went over, and they met one of the guys from Asbury the day they went over who was on the ground floor of what broke loose over there, and he said it was because they had been praying. They'd been gathering up and praying for revival. So uh, we're headed toward teaching and preaching on prayer. We're getting close to that. But the Holy Spirit has really directed me to talk about this today so we can get the right perspective. I think if you feel compelled to go to Asbury, to Lee University, and step into that, that's great. That's fine. Just follow the Lord. But revival is not a week's worth of meetings. You can have a week's worth of meetings, and I know most people in our culture call it revival, but revival might not be happening at all. You may have just had a week's worth of meetings. And nothing wrong with that. Revival happens, and it starts, I like these R words, it starts with repentance. Every one of us. If we were to be honest, everybody in this building could repent for something. Something you've not fully surrendered. Greed, lust, anger, unforgiveness, fear. We need to repent from fear. Because it's not God's will in our life. Whatever. But it starts with repentance and prayer. And I think fasting just adds another dimension as well. We do see God show up and move when people fast. Now, Kilpatrick, who's the guy in Pensacola, he, his story that he shared with us, he started going to their church at 4 o'clock every morning because he was tired of not seeing God move. Now, he was in a full gospel church, and he said, we had a lot of emotion, but not a lot of change. Revival cannot be seen on the outside. It's seen by the effects of the people that have it in their life and actions. That's how you can tell that revival's come. Not because the atmosphere is exciting or you get an emotional rush or an emotional high, but because the people that stepped into that glory came out different on the other side. That's being revived. Now, I'm going to give you some definitions here in just a minute about um, being revived from the Scripture. But in our English language, re is also a second note on the musical scale. We're not going to deal with that. We're going to talk, it's actually Ra or Re in that case. But re means to be, it means again, it means to recall as a prefix, again, to recall, to do over anew all right now let's go to our first it means to be a state of being revived brought back so to speak right i mean basically that's kind of what happened to me about 19 weeks ago i went out come back some people were glad maybe not everybody <laughs> uh so i got revived so to speak and that happens in our spiritual life right So it means also to have a renewed interest, right? That's one of the things that catches the church, I believe, the most is that we get distracted. You can get distracted even with religious things or with life in general, right? You can get distracted. So we get a renewed interest and the things of God become the most important thing to us. Not our job, not our retirement, not what people think about us, not any of that. We start getting renewed to the fact that God's our number one focus. The restoration of uh, it's the restoration of effect. It's like having renewed attention to. All right, that's what all this re prefix means. So you can't be revived unless you've been vived. All right. Now, once the vived people get revived, then salvation starts going out because they start reflecting it. They start showing it. They have this new hunger. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to see one church here, and we studied them just not long ago on Wednesday, but in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, it's talking to the angel of the church of Ephesus. He says, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. I think there's a lot of people like that in the church. I think there's a lot of people in the church that hate what they see going on in the culture. I'm one of them. I hate to see people just mock God and turn away from God. And God says, this is the way I want you to do it. This is the standard. And they do just the opposite. I hate to see that. It bothers me. He says, and you have tested those who say they were apostles and are not. Uh, and then he says, and have found them liars. Now, I don't care how smooth somebody talks to you, whether it's out of a television or some friend. You need to see if they're being faithful. If they're, you know, I don't really have... I, it's hard for me to receive from people who aren't being faithful to God. That's where it all starts. I don't care how talented we are or how, 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 much, how intelligent we are. Are you robbing God? Are you stealing from God? I mean, just elementary things. Are you faithful? You really don't have nothing to say to me if you're not going to be faithful to God. That's where it all starts. And the same should be true if, you, if you're listening to somebody. Are they faithful to God? Are you, if you're getting some kind of interaction from somebody, are they faithful to God? It matters to me if somebody's going to minister to me whether they're faithful to God or not. That means something to me. Not just because they're good with words or they know how to say something or they've been trained a certain way. Or they come in looking a certain way, or they got a lot of talent. So I want to see their checkbook. I want to see if they're being faithful to God before I'm going to receive from them. I want to see what's going on. I want to see if, how, if they live the same way outside the church as they do inside the church. That's important, and that should be said of all of us, right? We should all be living that way. We should be faithful. Now, this church is going to have a problem here. He says, you uh, persevered and have patience and labored in my name's sake and have not become weary. He's commended them, right? But then he gets to a point here. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. What are they going to need? They're going to need revival, right? They need to be renewed to that. They need to be revived to that love. He says, remember, therefore, that they've been doing some good stuff. And that's how we... That's how we get around things in our mind, but we're not getting around with anything but God. I mean, he said, yeah, you're getting some of this stuff done, right? In fact, he said the same thing to the Pharisees, right? He said, you guys are tithing, you're doing a bunch of these things, he said, but these things you've left undone, love and mercy, right? Remember that? So he, God don't skip things. We don't get to say, well, God, I've got this right to get us out of having to deal with this and get this right, whatever this is. God says, okay, that's good you got this right, now let's get this right. That's how the Holy Spirit works in our life. And that's what puts us in a position to where we can be used of God. He says he said you left your first love. They didn't lose it. That's kind of accidental, right? They left it. Things started creeping in and crowding in. He said, "Remember therefore from when you're fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, and unless you repent, but this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So what happened? We, we, we studied about this a few weeks ago. The Ephesus church did not do that. In fact, the whole city got wiped out with the plague. No longer there. They, they did not do what God, they did not get revived. They did not return. They did. And that's what the Hebrew word means in the Old Testament, teshuva, that we talk about in that season, right? When we're looking at the Feast of Trumpets, there's a 40-day window there where the Jews were called to return To the Lord. It's called Teshuvah. They were to return. Because in 365 days, you can lose some traction if you're not careful in something, right? You can lose your desire to stay in the Word or to have a prayer time or to attend God's fellowship or to be faithful with your check. But whatever, you can lose some attention. You can lose some things over time. So God called these Israelites during that 40 days to do some self-evaluation, all right? to see if they were being faithful, and to correct those things, to renew themselves, to revive themselves back to God. And that the church is no different. We, have, we deal with the same things. We have to find ourselves renewing ourselves back to those things. And so revival is important to the believer. And when it happens to the believer, when the believer gets revived, then they have a greater impact on the lost, And that's what causes salvation to come. So, I'll take you to this. In 2020, we did that. We fasted and prayed for a month. I know a lot of you all practice. You have wonderful prayer lives. And you stay in the Word. And this church is notorious for staying in the Word and being faithful in so many ways. So, I'm I'm honored to be the pastor of such people. But our prayer needs to go to the next level. Would everybody agree with that? All of us, we need to take it up a notch. So, let me show you what happened. In 2020, we did the prayer and the fasting for a month. After that, we had revival. We started having revival. Remember, we baptized almost 70 people, give or take, down at the river. We baptized people in baptistries around here across the road. We had a swimming pool out back here, uh, back in the summer, baptizing youth. Just wherever we could dunk them, we dunked them. And And it's been an exciting time. But let me tell you what happens. Once that happens, then God comes in and does this, prunes. Now, we've been going through a season of that. That's how it works. We don't like it. It used to aggravate me to death when I'd watch my grandparents prune stuff because I wanted the fruit. I, had, I wanted to kill the golden goose, right? That's how a lot of people are that laid the eggs, right? We, I, I did not, when we planted strawberries, when I would help them plant strawberries, I did not want to pull the bloom the first year. I wanted the strawberry, right? But you know the difference, right? You want a strawberry the size of a nickel, or do you want a strawberry the size of a half a dollar? So you've got to pull the bloom. So that, that's how God does you and I personally. He does this in our own lives. That's how He does His body. So He grows, then He prunes, all right? We need to get ready for the next season of growth. And how we're going to do that is we're going to bathe that in prayer. And what prayer does is it brings revival especially when there's repentance along with that. And that's what we're seeing happening at Asbury and at Lee University. Both of these institutions are based in full gospel backgrounds, which means that they all recognize who the Holy Spirit is. And sad to say, not every church or college or movement recognizes the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the game changer. He is the agent in this earth. Now, how do you know if the Holy Spirit's moving? I'm going to get back to John Arnott. John Arnott was the revival in, in our generation that blew out. It lasted for a few years as well in Toronto. And I've actually been and in, in, had John Arnott laid hands on me and prayed for me. I was in a certain setting. They had a revival, broke out. God started saving, people getting delivered, renewals, all that. And then guess who showed up? The devil. The devil showed up, and he can talk about this. I don't, I'm not sure if he's even still alive, but he, I think he is. <clears throat> but the devil showed up, and he started getting into the movement and causing distractions. So, and they, they talk about all this, and some of my friends did go to Toronto a couple of times, how that people started barking like dogs and stuff like that, and drawing the attention... It just got out of control. Because you can be sure that wherever God's working, the devil's wanting to stop it, right? Same thing happened with John Kilpatrick. He tells us this out. He, he was going to the church, and he said, I was so desperate in my own spirit for God to show up and do some things in our church. He said, I called this group of people, uh, uh, and they were, and this was a, a crowd that went around years ago. The laughing crowd. He said, I just I had them come to my church. They had a revival team. And he said, I was sitting on the platform. And he said, I realized not 20 minutes into the service that it didn't have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. They had, they had planted spotters all over my church. And he said, when I saw what was happening, he said, this person, laughing's contagious. You know that? So they spotted laughing people. They, he said, they weren't part of my crowd They brought them with them. They spot them. He said, I watched them start this stuff. He said, so I got up 20 minutes in the meeting, shut the whole thing down. Sent them out. Now, this will tell you how the kind of spirit they had. He said, they went out and got bricks and started coming back toward the church to the people that was supposedly bringing the revival in. They were so angry. and were going to bust out the church windows. So you can be sure that the devil's trying to get his two cents in he said but wasn't soon after that is when the revival broke out in pensacola and that lasted for years and uh so he paid the price though he went to his church just about every day i can't remember how long just seeking god for god to show up and when you do without food when you pray as we did and god showed up here and brought all these renewals and these salvations but it started with prayer and fasting. And I was encouraged to get that confirmation. They were my children were standing in line when one of the guys who was on the ground level of what started in Asbury shared that with them. That it, it started in prayer. Now there's another part to God that we have to remember, He's sovereign. He's sovereign. And so He does things sometimes outside of our box, right? He gets out of our box. Now, if you want revival in your life, you're going to need to pray and repent. Now, repentance is shown. Repentance is shown by fruit. It's shown by fruit. What did John the Baptist tell them when they were coming to get baptized? They didn't just get to come and get baptized. He said, hey, show me some fruit that you've repented. Let me see the evidence. That's what revival does. It shows the evidence in the people who've repented, who've who've experienced this reviving those people. You can tell it. It's more than just, oh, I went to a meeting and it was great. When they came out of that meeting, there was a transformation that had taken place. It doesn't have to be a meeting. You can have revival individually. I've I've had individual revival in my life. Been broken to the core. I can take you to two or three places in my life, one in a mountain, one in my bedroom, and another one. I could take you to those places where I was so broken I didn't feel like I could get up off my face. Repenting, doing all that kind of stuff, and coming up there feeling like I got up with a cape on. Because God had called me into a moment of renewal and it, it's impacted my life there's moments like that you can have individual revival you don't have to just go to a meeting to have revival and again you can't just that's why you can't say we can't say we've experienced our revival the way we did for a couple of years then God started pruning us but you can't say hey let's just go over there and start revival that's not how you can't do that you got somebody's got to be praying, somebody's got to be laboring, interceding, waiting upon the Lord. That's how, and and people've got to be willing to repent. Now Larry Lee is another guy. Some of you may remember his teaching in the book. Could you not tarry one hour? God taught him about the importance of prayer through one of his experiences. Larry Lee went to a town. At this time, he was an evangelist before he started pastoring, and he said that he went to a town. And when he got to the town, this is his own testimony, he said he was going to hold revival. And this town was going to put him in a different church each night to hold revival. They were all going to team up and have revival. And he said uh, the first night he was getting ready to preach, he said uh, two nuns came in, spirit-filled nuns come behind the stage where he was at. And they said, can we tune your guitar?" And he said, I was so felt so weirded out. He said, I didn't really know what to say. And uh, through that little first encounter, they wound up praying over him after they tuned his guitar and he went out and preached. So by the end of the, he said, the next night, he said, he saw the nuns come through the door and he said, I ran and handed them my guitar. <laughs> because the first night, So many people got saved after that. He said, I ran and said, they showed up every every night of the revival. He said, I was on the plane going home, and he said, I was trying to figure out how to be humble when I got back home because 500 people had been saved that week. And he said, I was on the plane riding home. I'll never forget him telling this. He said, and I was thinking, how am I going to share this with people in humility? And he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, on that plane, he said, let's get one thing straight, Larry. You didn't have a thing to do with that. Hmm, I feel that, don't you? He said, the Lord said, I had some of my servants been praying and praying for weeks and months for this revival long before I ever sent you there. So that's how revival comes. And I was encouraged to get that confirmed just a couple of days ago here in Asbury. And I'm sure the same thing. Most of you are familiar with Cleveland because that's where uh, Perry Stone, that's his camp down there. Uh, So that revival comes because of prayer and repentance. And we experience the measure of that here in this church. And we can have it again, but there will be sacrifice to be made. And guess what? Every one of us need to be Revived. Starting right here with me. And I'm going to tell you something. If we live long enough, guess what? You're going to need revived again. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, they said, don't we, how do we get, keep getting filled with the Spirit? Said, no, they said, why do we need to keep getting refilled with the Spirit? And Charles Spurgeon said, because we leak. That happens, don't it? We get cracks in us. and None of us are above being distracted. None of us are above getting lazy at God at t- on God at times. Can I get a couple of amens? Amen. Some of us get caught up in our own lives. Some of us forget to include God in our stuff, right? Or we neglect to include. So we need to be revived. And you're going to be, you know, I heard a preacher talking, he was preaching in his 70s and he was preaching things that I thought only 40 years need to remember. Or know. Or be reminded of. But he kept preaching, and he said, listen, he said, the devil's the devil. He said, I saw the devil, when, and I appreciated him saying this. He said, "I, I dealt with the devil in my 30s. I dealt with him in my 40s. He said, I dealt with him in my 50s. I dealt with the flesh in my 60s. I'm still dealing with the flesh in my 70s. I said, what? But it's true, isn't it? It's true. We're all human. So we're going to get distracted. We're going to have the enemy try and rob us from the things of God. Now, you can let them steal a lot of stuff in your life, but we cannot afford to let Satan steal what God's trying to do in our lives. Amen. I tried to sing that song last week. I didn't do very good with it. But I'm still going to do what it says. I'm going to the enemy's camp, and I'm going to... Take back what he stole from me, because he's under my feet. He's under my feet, according to the gospel. Can you say Amen? amen. Now let's look at some things about revival. Turn with me to Psalm 85. Talk, let's uh, show you a few places where this word's used. In Psalm 85, we have a text here that's a, it's pretty powerful uh, that shares with us about a little bit about being revived. In verse one. Let's look at a few verses, 1 through 7. In Psalm 85, verse 1, it says, Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back. See, that's a return. That's a teshuva. That's a re. Everybody say re. re. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need some re. You need to be re, whatever. Uh, he says, you have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forg- forgiven the iniquity of of your people. See, there's where it starts. You have covered all their sin. We ought to shout about that. Do you know, I don't care what kind of stupid stuff you've done this week, you can be forgiven. Isn't that good news? You can't get that at Walmart. You certainly can't get that from the news media or the world out there. They don't want to forgive anybody. But you can get it from Jesus Christ. Amen. He says, You've covered all their sin. You have taken away all your wrath. Ra! I love that. You have turned, you have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? The answer to that's no, because of Jesus Christ. Will you revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. That's how revival works. It don't happen because you have five nights worth of meetings. It happens because somebody was seeking God maybe for months or even years before you had those meetings, and the Holy Spirit honored that prayer, that intercession, that sacrifice. That's how we have revival. We know that. We we know that ourselves. Let's turn over to Psalm 138. Another psalm here. Uh, This one's a psalm of David, I believe. And listen to how he speaks here about being revived. Uh, In Psalm 138. He says, I'll give you a second to get there. He says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, little G, I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. We should all say amen to that. For you have magnified your word above your name. And that's one of the ways you can spot the counterfeits when the devil starts trying to get in the middle of the revival. He'll start doing things that don't line up with the word of God. I don't care how flattering... I've had people try to flatter me in 30-some years, even at the back doors at times, and I've had to refuse it because flattery is a form of deception. And so you've got to be careful with that. But the Holy Spirit will never do anything that's contrary to this book. The Spirit and the Word agree, and He's magnified His Word even above His name. That's what He just said here. And he said, in the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. What's this guy been doing? He's been praying. All right, we're going to see something else about this guy. He's not ashamed. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is high on high, yet he regards the lowly. But the proud he knows from afar. Pride. You gotta lay pride. You want revival in your life? You gotta repent and lay your pride aside. Lay it down. You gotta repent. And if you repent, that means repentance don't mean you stop. The Greek word for repentance don't mean you just stop going that way. It means you stop and you turn and go the other direction. Right? You don't. I, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. You're not only not going to do that anymore, you're going to turn and do the right thing. You're not just going to stop doing that. You're going to turn and do the right thing. That's what we call sanctification. Right? As we get set apart and set unto. And Then he says, all the kings of the earth. He said, I will worship toward your holy hill. In verse 2. In verse 1 he said, I'll praise you in front of the gods, the little In other words, he's not being ashamed. He's going to praise God in front of the world. He said, Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. In verse 6, Though the Lord is high, yet He regards the lowly, but the proud He knows from afar. The, the New Testament says, God uh, gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. One of the German translations says it like this, God gives grace to those who seek Him, and gives access to those who seek Him, and resist those who are prideful. Gives access to himself to those who are humble. Think about that. God's offering us access. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will what? I've experienced that firsthand in the natural and the spiritual. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. Who is the right hand? The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. All right? Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. He won't. He won't. <clears throat> and that's what God's out. You can step. You could go to Lee. You could go to Asbury, whatever, and step into that moment. But if you're going to receive what God's pouring out, you may have to repent while you're there. Not just go in there with yourself. Put your cell phone up. Go there and seek the Lord. Put your cell phone away. If you want to step into that, leave your cell phone in the car and go seek the Lord. Let Him have some undistracted time in your life. Quit just cell phone it, trying to get all your friends to get 15,000 likes. They're lying to you anyhow. They didn't like it no way. Now, let me show you something else. Day, let's go to Luke chapter 15. You're going to see a clear illustration of what it means to be revived. This is the passage with the prodigal. Everybody's familiar with that. This passage with the prodigal. And let's look at verse, in chapter 15, verse 18. Just a few verses here. Uh, 15, verse 18. <clears throat> he's, he's come to his moment here. He says, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. There's that repentance, right? There's that repentance we're talking about. He's got his heart turned. He said, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Such humility. See that? Now he's going to get access, right? He's doing all the things we just read about in the book of Psalms. He's, he's, he's repenting. He's not ashamed. I mean, he's ashamed of what he's done, but he's not letting that shame uh, instill pride to keep him from turning to where he needs to turn. He's turning away from the pig pen and turning and going back the other direction. All this... It's beautiful. It illustrates revival, repentance, all the concepts I'm trying to get across to you. And then he says, and I am no longer worthy of God. So he's coming in. That's how it should be. Some people over 30-some years have come to my office and said, I've, I've done such and such, whatever that is, and I've heard it all twice. And they'll say to me, and I feel horrible. And I say, good. Because if you can do all that and not feel bad, we've got a worse problem. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It leads us to repentance. Now, you can step out of that and overcome that. You don't have to carry that because he's borne out of all of our shame and all of our guilt, right? So that's the good news. But if you can sin and not feel bad about it, then we got a bigger problem because your conscience ain't working correctly. That's, why, that's how the Holy Spirit works in our life. So we, we need to have that. He's feeling all that. You see that? And he says, I'll just be one of the hired servants. And he arose, came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So the father is giving him access, right? He's making him feel welcome. He's, the son's coming home the way he should come home, in humility, but the father is saying, man, I'm glad you're home, right? And then he says, and the son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven, all right? So he's confessing. He said, I've sinned against heaven. And in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Beautiful humility. I like this. I like this. If you're in the wrong, there should be humility in your life. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be be merry. For this my son uh, was dead and is alive again. Now there it is. And was lost and is found, and they begin. You notice what he said? Is alive again. That phrase there, alive again, is this Greek word Anazaho. A N A Z A Long O. That's the Greek word for that phrase. And this word is a powerful word, it means to live again. Read. To do it again. To, to live again. Let me tell you something. When we backslide, when we get out of kilt or out of sorts with God and we need that reviving, we're missing out on so much. I want you to see the contrast here. Because the devil and the world can so move in on us that we can begin to think that's normal. That's not the normal life for a Christian. The normal life, he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's the normal life for a Christian. Doesn't mean we don't have battles, but we don't live in that state. He came to, the Bible says, he came to himself. I didn't read that before, but it said he came to himself. He was out there in the middle of all that. You're going to have that moment when revival comes. You're going to come to yourself and say, oh man, I've been neglecting those things. I've been letting those things go. I've not been spending time in prayer like I should. I've not answered the call when God's asked me to push the food away. I've not done those things. And because of that, you're missing out or I'm missing out on so much. And when you get revived, it means to live again. All right? Now let's go to Ezra chapter 9. Let me take you to Ezra chapter 9. In Ezra chapter 9, we're going to find out these people. This pattern is the same all through the Bible. So here's what I can tell you about what happened here. What's going on in Asbury. What happened in Pensacola. What happened in Lee. And what happened in Toronto. There were people praying and repenting and fasting long before those things kicked in. That's what's happened. And so... You can't just say, oh, I see what's happening at Asbury. I'm going to go start that in my church. It don't work that way. That's not how that works. That's fleshly. That's carnal. You have to have those folks who are willing. Now, here's the word I'm getting ready to use. You have to have those folks who are willing to labor in prayer. Not the people that pray for five minutes, but the people that are willing to labor in prayer, intercede, spending time with God. Now, let's look at Ezra chapter 9, just a few verses in here. You're going to see this clearly again. When these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land. Now, there's our challenge, right, in the culture we live in staying separated and not doing the same things the world does. With respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites, they've not separated from the things they're doing, for they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. So this, he's using that to illustrate that they're intermingling with the things that are not of God. And so much so that they're bringing these pagan people into their family circles. And that's that's what's causing them, that's what's giving trouble here. And Ezra's going to address that. So when I heard this thing, look what he did. I tore my garment and my robe and plucked out some of my hair on my head and beard and sat down astonished. He couldn't believe it. Overwhelmed. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel. I think that's another facet of revival. People who have the word of God as their top priority. He said, everybody who trembled at the words of God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who'd been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. At the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting, and having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. Here we go. People who are willing to pay the price in prayer. And he says, and I said, oh my God, this is what's going to bring revival though. He said, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you. My God. And I would say that as a pastor and as a man who's a steward over a congregation. This congregation don't belong to me, it belongs to the Lord. But I'm a steward, I'm an under-shepherd under Him. As a steward of that, of God's, I would say that I'm ashamed of some of the tactics that the churches use to be like the world. The modern church, I'm ashamed of them. I'm ashamed of how some people, some churches do to attract the culture. Josiah said, Don't be bringing no chariots and horses up here from Egypt. We don't need their chariots and their horses. So then he says, And I said to my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads. Would you say that's true of this country? I would. I would say that's true in a lot of cases for the body of Christ in some ways. Since the days of our fathers, to this day we have been very guilty. And notice how he's including himself in that. He's not singling anybody out. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the land. What if, and I think some of you all have proved that, but what if when somebody's fallen in this group, we all feel like we've fallen? That we don't say nothing about it on Facebook. We don't get on the phone and talk about it. Paul didn't say you, when you see a brother taken in a fault, you which are spiritual, talk about him on Twitter. Is Twitter still a thing? He said, you which are spiritual, go and restore him we show how spiritual are we are by whether we got them or we go pray with the guy. Amen. Amen. That's when we show how spiritual we are. <laughs> so then, he says, uh, you've uh, been delivered in the hand of the kings of the land. He said, I'm ashamed. You, we've been delivered in the, land, uh, the hand of the kings of the land. Our sword to captivity, plunder and humiliation as to this day. And now, it all comes back because they were living apart from God and they wouldn't repent or return. That's what revival's about. And now, for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord, our God, to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in this holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. And that's what's happening in America. America. God gave us a little measure of revival in a country and a church in large part that's in bondage. That's what He's doing in Asbury. That's what He's doing at Lee University. He's given some relief, some revival in a country that's bound up with its sin. And in in some cases, even the church. He's given us some revival, some spots of reviving, and that can happen in your life in your family, in your church, it doesn't matter. God can bring revival if there's people willing to pay the price. If they're willing to labor in prayer, if they're willing to stay on their face before God, if they're willing to turn from what they're doing and start doing the right thing, whatever it is. If you're willing to let go and forgive that person. If you're willing to uh, show mercy to that person. If you're willing to stop being greedy and lusting for the things of the world. If you're willing to start writing God a check out of your checkbook instead of everybody else. Return. Return. Turn and go the other direction. That's what revival's about. That's what repentance is about. They all work hand in hand. Now let's go to 2 Chronicles. Everybody's familiar with this passage. But you're going to see in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, you're going to see what this hinges on. And and some of you like myself could probably just spit it it out of your mouth right now. You've read this verse and said it so many times. But in 2 Chronicles 7 verse 13, uh, let me just back up to verse 12. Here's a conversation going on here with Solomon and the Lord and the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him I've heard your what now quit complaining try to train yourself to not complain God don't want to hear it he proved that he don't want to hear our complaining I have to repent sometimes does anybody have to repent besides me three of us rest of your line you got to repent for that Uh, But God don't want to hear our complaining. He wants to hear faith coming out of us. And so he says, The Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heaven, there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people. Who done all that? God, not the devil. If my people, he said when they get in trouble, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and do what? Pray. And do what? Seek my face. And do what? Turn from their wicked ways. Now we're going to read this together. I want this to get down in your spirit, all right? I'm going to start us. Here we go. He said, here we go, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land somebody give God's word hallelujah come on let's give him praise for that hallelujah hallelujah praise his name come on yeah we praise you Lord you are worthy So, guess what? That's all right. You can praise Him. You can have a good garden, and your neighbors can be eaten up by the crows. God can heal your land in the midst of a famine. And now how I know that? Because everywhere the children of Israel were at in Egypt, God was taken care of. Egypt was getting destroyed. The Bible says they were getting destroyed but God was taking care of His folks and He was taking care of His folks with His love, His mercy and the blood of the Lamb that was struck across the doorpost. And the Bible said even though darkness covered the land the KU and inner county both went off. But there was light in Goshen where God's people were at. That's that's how good our God is. He's able to feed us with a raven. He's able to make a barrel meal last till the famine's over. He's able to get money out of a fish's mouth. Can you say amen? He's able to turn a bush into fire. He's able to part the sea and to walk over on dry ground and to destroy your enemy with the very thing that he saved you with. That's the kind of God we serve. I didn't think I was going to preach, but I can't help it. We need revival. I don't doubt that. All of us, and we're going to need it periodically. Our land needs revival. Our whole country needs revival. Our churches need revival. Our universities. Do you know that Harvard was founded on God? And now if you went up there and talked about him, they'd probably kick you out. Harvard needs revival. They need revival. God loves those people just as much as He does The people at Asbury. But somebody at Harvard needs to pay the price. And that's all of us, right? You're going to need revival. I'm going to need revival. Our church is going to have to have revival in seasons. Not just the first one we had. We're going to need another one. That's how this thing works. Because we leak. We need refilled because we leak over time. And so God is calling us. And here He says in Chronicles, He says, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves. This sound like the prodigal, right? Sound like this to live again. Sound like this aniseo, Greek word, right? Sounds the same way. He pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'm going to listen. That's God. That's, that's what brings revival to you individually, to a family. I've seen whole families have revivals. One of them gets saved and starts seeking God because he or she had a burden for the rest of their people that were going to hell. And started paying the price in prayer. And waiting on God. You can have a revival in your family. But every time you get around them, if they only hear you complain. And they don't hear all the good stuff of God. Then you're probably not going to have revival. You're going to have people that when you leave, they think, they're going to think. This cannot, this has got to stop. Two things have got to stop. Tell your neighbors, say, listen to what he's going to say. We've got to quit having Christians wearing Camouflage. Quit wearing camouflage. Stand up for the Lord and His Word. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. The second thing, we got to quit going to people and when we leave them looking and thinking, well, they ain't no better off than I am. That can't be. we got to be the people who live in the joy. that The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. If you don't have the joy of the Lord, guess what's going to start going away in your life? Strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And the joy of the Lord is not based on natural things. Alright? i got one more place I want to say to you. Or one more thing to say to you. Repentance precedes revival. That's prayer. That's part of prayer. Now I'll ask you a question. What in your life have you not completely surrendered? Let's stand our feet. What in your life have you not completely surrendered? All these pockets of revival, including the one we had, all started because people had been praying, fasting, and repenting. I'm not, I don't mean this. I don't want anybody to be discouraged, but there's probably something every single one of us could repent for. And, and because it's not only the things we do sometimes as Christians, it's the things we leave undone sometimes. We call those the sins of omission. So I encourage you, if you feel compelled to go over to Asbury, like I said some of my children went, I think it's a good thing. But you need to go over there with the right attitude and spirit and leave your phone in the car. And spend time with God. Step into that. That's a great thing. Especially if you've yet learned to really how to bask and wait on the Lord. That's a good thing to do, to go over there and learn how to do that with others. The Indian reservations are great. The people that get saved out there are about being able to wait on the Lord. They, they call it soaking. But instead of soaking in a sweat lodge, the ones that got saved, they soak in the presence of the Lord. That's a change, right? they've been revived so but revival's not coming our way or your way or my way unless we practice the things we see with the prodigal son we cannot be too proud to say god we want to draw a little bit closer cannot be too proud for that let's bow our heads father we thank you for the revivals that we know about Many people in my age remember what you did in Toronto, in Pensacola. Some remember what happened in Asbury years ago in the 70s. We thank you for what you did in this church in the last two and a half years. We thank you, Lord, for revival. And we don't want to be so arrogant and so prideful as to think that we don't need revival. And that periodically along our life's journey, we're going to need it again. And maybe again. Because we read the children of Israel's story. How they had to regularly renew themselves to you. And we see that that's a problem for the flesh, Lord. We see just with what we read about with Nehemiah. And how we learn about how you called Israel to return to you during a 40 day period every single year Lord I pray that everybody in this room experiences revival in the season that you've slated for them and that they will do what Ezra talked about what David talked about and they'll mimic the prodigal so that they can step into this reliving this real life that you offer us. If you're listening to me this morning, you're watching us, we want to say to you and those of you that are in this building this morning, if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, as your Lord, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, then we want to invite you to surrender your life. You're not out of place here. You can pray. Everything up here is an altar, steps, whatever. We've all had to walk that aisle. You're not out of place in this church to step out of your seat and come and ask the Lord to forgive you and make you His son or daughter. Maybe you're here and you are that prodigal. Or maybe you're watching me right now and you are that prodigal. Maybe you're sitting in Idaho seeing this this broadcast and you're watching and thinking, I need Jesus. Just kneel right where you're at. Kneel with us as we open this altar. Make you an altar right there in your home. And ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you're in this building, you're a prodigal, and it's time for you to come home. Maybe you've been doing your own thing. Maybe you've been letting some stuff go. Whatever you've done, the Lord will forgive you. As we begin to worship, this altar's open. Will you come? Those of you at home, will you kneel?